Hey everyone, it's Eves. Just wanted to let you know that you'll be hearing an episode from me and an episode from Tracy V. Wilson today. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and I'd like to thank Christopher Hasiotis for filling in for me for the previous seven episodes. Today is December 17th, and December 17th marks the beginning of Saturnalia, although we don't know exactly what year the ancient Romans observed Saturnalia for the first time. This was, though, a very popular Roman holiday honoring the god Saturn. It was probably the most popular of all the Roman festivals, And one of the things that Saturn was associated with was agriculture, both sowing and harvesting. And this festival happened at the end of the autumn harvest and the beginning of the winter planting cycle. Originally, this was just a single day observance on the 17th. And by the reign of Emperor Augustus, which lasted from 27 BCE until he died in 14 CE, it had become a two-day event. People had been celebrating it at that point for at least 200 years. Over time, Saturnalia got longer and longer and more elaborate. It started overlapping the winter solstice. It was lasting for seven entire days, although some emperors tried to rein it in a little bit, cut it down to maybe a more manageable five days instead of seven This was not just a time for drinking and feasting. People shut down their businesses, including for this entire seven-day stretch. They took a break from all their work. Various codes of proper behavior became more and more relaxed. For example, people were allowed to gamble, which wasn't acceptable in a lot of other circumstances. Enslaved people were temporarily given more freedoms. And some folks have made connections to today's observances of Mardi Gras in terms of what the atmosphere was like. There was a lot of partying and revelry. At the end of this festival, there was also a presentation of gifts, usually of candles and of wax figures and wax models of fruit. People also decorated their homes with greenery. The statue of Saturn in his temple in Rome was typically bound with woolen rope, but during Saturnalia, those bonds would be cut during the festival. Saturnalia continued to be observed after the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, which happened in the year 312. That made the Roman Empire at least officially a Christian empire. But pagan religions did continue to be observed, and pagan observances continued to happen. So for a time, Christian holidays and pagan holidays and and festivals were really being observed at the same time. So a lot of people point to Saturnalia as the origin point for Christmas in the Western church, and including both the date that it's celebrated and some of the traditions involved in celebrating it. And this, I mean, it makes a lot of logical sense. Saturnalia and Christmas were both being observed in the Roman Empire because of the shifting of Saturnalia and the lengthening of it that put it right up against December 25th. But there were also other pagan celebrations happening on the 25th of December as well, some of them with closer parallels to Christianity than Saturnalia had. The Roman civic holiday of Sol Invicta was also observed on December 25th, and the cult of Mithras celebrated the birth of their god on December 25th, 
And the story of the birth of Mithras has a lot of parallels to the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. So while Saturnalia may have had some influence on the timing of Christmas or some Christmas traditions, especially in the Western church, it's also really likely that other celebrations happening in the early centuries of the religion played their own part as well. You can learn a little bit more about Saturnalia in the December 23rd, 2009 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks very much to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for a discovery, if you could call it that. Hi again, everyone. It's Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class a show where history waits for no one. The day was December 17, 1790. The Aztec sunstone, a circular stone marked by carvings of calendar signs and images related to the Aztec creation myth, was rediscovered. Though it has been called a calendar stone, archaeologists today believe that it was not used as an astronomical device or sundial, but rather as a ceremonial container related to the Aztec sun god Tonatiu. The Aztec sunstone was probably carved sometime between 1502 and 1520, during the reign of Motecasuma II. The center of the stone bears an image of what's thought to be the sun god Tonatiu, though some scholars have proposed that it's an image of the god of the night sun or the earth monster. The central image appears inside a glyph that means movement and represents the fifth sun or the present era that will end with the destruction of humankind. Tonatiu's hands appear as claws holding human hearts and his tongue is a stone knife. The image of the sun god is framed by four boxes that contain symbols of the four previous suns or eras. Surrounding the central section is a ring depicting the signs that correspond to the 20 days of the Aztec solar calendar. Around that ring is a second ring with representations of sun rays and square sections, each containing five dots. The outermost ring depicts two fire serpents. And at the top of that ring is a glyph that represents the date 13 reed, which is said to correspond with the year 1427 and the beginning of the fifth sun. The stone is about 12 feet or 4 meters in diameter and weighs more than 24 short tons. The stone may have been originally located in the ceremonial precinct of Tenochtitlan and placed horizontally near where human sacrifices took place. After the Spanish conquest, religious officials buried it underneath the Zocalo, the central plaza of Mexico City. Workers who were leveling and remodeling the plaza dug up the stone on December 17, 1790. It was examined by archaeologists, then moved to a cathedral, and later transferred to the monolith gallery of the Archaeological Museum. There have been many interpretations of the stone's meaning. Scholars have said that it may have been used as a repository for human hearts or a base for the final sacrificial of a gladiatorial combatant. Soon after its rediscovery, Mexican scholar Antonio de Leon y Gama wrote a treatise on the stone and hired artist Francisco de Aguera to illustrate an image of the monument. Leon Igama and other early scholars suggested that the stone was used as an astronomical or timekeeping device. 
Scholars have also suggested that the stone was used to represent rulership, death, sacrifice, and the success of Aztec armies. The stone is currently housed at the National Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Give us a shout or a share on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Or if you would prefer to email us, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.